Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Suzanne Harper, the Marketing Director at Twin Oaks Technology, a Tennessee-based tech company where she leads a fully remote digital marketing team. In addition to the job she loves, Suzanne also devotes time to her two part-time passion projects, a teamwork and leadership consulting company called Extra Credit Team Solutions, and a philanthropic clothing company called Project 731. Suzanne is a graduate of the University of Tennessee at Martin, where she earned her degree in marketing and business administration. Good morning, Suzanne, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning, Mary. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast space with me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to have you on. So let's just jump right in. And I want to hear all about your work history and how you got to where you are today. Sure. But I'd like to begin with the first job experience. What is the first thing you had as a young person? Okay, so we're going to take this back about 18 or 19 years, which in the context of my life is a long time. (laughs) But um, my very first job was at a local daycare. And I started there when I was in high school. I was probably about 15 or 16. And I worked there for six years. So worked at that daycare all through high school, all through college. The kids and I got along great. They always referenced me as their favorite teacher because I never said no. So I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing in childcare, but it worked for me. Uh, And then after college, I started my first full-time job um, at a local newspaper doing advertising sales. And I was there for a few years. Um, I really gained some great work life experience while I was there got super involved in the community. And when it was time for me to move on, um, oddly enough, I took a job in the nonprofit sector and again, gained even more experience um, in a different capacity of leadership, managing people, managing budgets, all that fun stuff. And again, the theme of my life is when it was time to move on. (laughs) I was fortunate enough to land a job with a great company where I'm I currently am called Twin Oaks Technology, and we are a tech company that provides IT support, digital marketing services, and um, software development. So on top of those things, I currently am a co-owner of a t-shirt business with my husband called Project 731, and I also just started a new business with my best friend and former co-worker called Extra Credit Team Solutions. So that brings me up to today and it's been a long 18 years and I'm very tired in hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) What you're currently doing sounds a lot. I want to talk a little bit about your experience in childcare. Sure. Those first few years of life are so important and how we care for our children says a lot about our society and um, you know more than most uh, what it's like to be a childcare worker. The working conditions is hard work. Yes? It is. Yes, it is hard work. And, um, you know, I have so much respect for people in education, teachers, daycare workers, because, you know, the reality is, is they are in those children's lives for several, several hours of the week. So they see and experience a lot and they probably have a hand in, you know, molding those children in some ways and, uh, you know, dealing with all the wonderful things and the frustration that comes along with it. 
So as you said, yeah, the wonderful and the frustrating, I think that's a wonderful way to think about (laughs) childhood because children are amazing and they're also amazingly frustrating. So when you were in that environment, your clientele or these children, and you're also working with coworkers and you have bosses. And so there's lots of opportunity for collaboration and interesting, changing dynamic work, and also lots of opportunities to come in conflict What was your experience like? Because you were there for quite some time. I was. And, you know, we were a lot, a bunch of young people working together. I will say the majority of us were either in high school or college at the time. Um, I would say for the most part, we were collaborating wonderfully, you know, doing what we needed to do. Everybody seemed to have their role. Uh, And we would also rotate those roles just to make sure that things were fair and things didn't get stagnant. Um, I'd say if anything, if there's any quote unquote conflict, it was mostly mitigating situations with parents because we were the last adult to see their child in the day before we handed them off to go back home. And if anything happened during the day, you know, we were the ones that needed to discuss that with the parents. And, uh, you know, as somebody in high school, that was a really great learning experience for me to be able to have those adult conversations that involve their precious children, which is very important. Um, So it kind of just taught you some communication skills and uh, just, you know, being a grown up and being able to, to talk about it. You know, that's so interesting because a lot of times when we think about these first jobs, whether they're in fast food or, you know, retail, or as you're doing in childcare, And we have people in these first jobs are doing very adult, important work for the society. I mean, there isn't hardly any more important work than um, caring for children. And, And putting on that hat as, you know, you're going to high school, you're coming home and you are having these one on ones with parents, sometimes about maybe a child being hurt or a child misbehaving and being able to deal with the emotional responses and questions right. from from the adults. Right. I always reference that moment when something happens and you look around for the adult in the room and then you come to that horrible realization that you're the adult in the room and you've got to take care of it. <laughs> right. That's right. So in in situations that you have, you know, all these children and all these working parts, it could, of course, be a disaster or it could run really smoothly. So it sounds like your organization was running really smoothly. Was that having to do with the leadership? How did the the leaders run uh, that daycare? So we were very fortunate to have a highly organized leader who was passionate about child care and passionate about her job. And she was very good at putting systems and processes in place just to make sure that everything ran the way that it needed to run. And how did how did she deal with mistakes or when employees weren't operating the way they should be? What I appreciated about her is that she was a very straightforward person. Um, and not to say that she wasn't kind or compassionate, but she also had a really good professional strength about her. Um, She was not shy about having straightforward conversations that needed to happen. She was focused on things running correctly and everybody's safety and well-being. So I think that everybody really respected her for that. 
And that was a foundational thing that helped everything else run the way that it needed to run. You know, I like that you started with saying that she was kind and yet she did this hard work. And sometimes, especially women fall prey to this. And sometimes people say it's a Southern thing. I think it's kind of a human thing that we, in our minds, sometimes take apart saying the hard thing that needs to be said. If I say that, I'm not being kind. But if we take any sort of step back, as you've just explained, it's unkind to let systems fall apart and to let the things be unsafe. And uh, the impact is not only you as the worker, but the health of these children and the ability for the daycare to run. So the kind thing is to speak up, make sure things are running properly and have hard conversations. Yes, I definitely think that's something that comes with time and experience because it is possible to be kind and strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, sometimes we confuse the two like, oh, I was too strong or too strict. So therefore I'm mean, or I was too kind and too compassionate and therefore I'm a pushover. So it's this uh, incredible balancing act (laughs) that I I simply think it just takes practice. Maybe some people are, are born to be that way. For me, that's definitely something I'm continuing to work on. I like that very much. I was thinking about this equation as you were speaking, you know, is it kind plus strong equals respect? Mm. I'm sure there's other things we want to put in that equation, but many times we don't really respect in this sort of elevated sense, someone that we think is mean. They're strong, but if they're deranged, if they don't care at all about the emotional health, the well-being of their workers, we might respect a part of them, but they're not respected because they don't care. And it's many of us don't respect people who we fundamentally believe don't care about other people. Right. If I I think to respect somebody fully, you also have to kind of like them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I appreciate that you said that these skills can be learned. And so we don't have to be stuck in the narrative that, oh, this is something that I can't do. Maybe we can just add, I'm not comfortable doing it yet but I can grow and I can develop. And I love that you said practices. That's how we get better at anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I also believe any tough situation that arises, um, as much as you hate going through it in the moment, I always try to remind myself, this is a learning opportunity. This is an opportunity for growth. So, you know, just do the best you can and, you know, think about what you can do better next time or take from this experience and apply to the next one that comes up because there always will be another experience to mitigate. <laughs> That's so true. Just yesterday, I went to an event in Memphis and I wasn't feeling my best. And I, but I kept on saying, well, you've registered for this event. You should go. It'll benefit you. You should go. I went to the event and I was there longer because my child's in Memphis. So I had lunch with him. That was definitely the highlight of my day. I went to this event. It was okay, but it was not what I thought it was going to be. And then I come home, it's nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, what a wasted trip. And I thought, absolutely not. I was so happy when I arrived home because I did it. Even even (laughs) if it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You still did it. (laughs) I still did it. I thought I should have gone. I went and I had the, the satisfaction that I did it. Yeah. And sometimes that's the reward in itself. 
especially right. now. So, you know, doing things is so much harder than not doing things. <laughs> and anytime yes. that you can put on your real pants or your real outfit and get out there in the world and do it. I mean, that's a win right there. Absolutely. Let's take all the wins we can get. Right. So childcare all through high school and into college and you graduate and you majored, uh, were you a communications major? I was a marketing major. My minor was in French. Don't ask me to speak it <laughs> because I would disappoint my dad, who was my professor. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun little minor to have. So yes, I, but the majority of my time I was in the office of business administration and I ended up with that marketing degree. What was it about marketing that me? That's what you do today. It's a part of what you do today. What drew you to that profession? Well, interestingly enough, I started with uh, seeking out a degree in psychology. I was always fascinated by just what makes people tick, the way the brain works, uh, different personalities and things like that. And I was always approached with the question of, are you either going to be a therapist or a teacher? And I thought, oh, neither. Those sound terrible for me. So I decided to pivot, you know, about two years in to my education and, you know, find something different. And I landed on marketing because honestly, it's a little bit of psychology rolled into business. It also gives you an outlet to be creative, which I love. And there was not a lot of math involved going through the process of getting that degree. So I was sold. <laughs> That sounds perfect. <laughs> right. I would like you to talk to us a little bit about, if you think about the different work experiences that you've had, what is the best experience you've had in and what resonated with you? What? Why was it so good? Well, honestly, I think that all of my work experiences have been good in their own unique ways. But, uh, and I think that I have something thankful to be thankful for from everyone that I've had, but I will speak on one experience and one boss that was really impactful to me because it happened to be my first full-time big girl job boss. And I know 100% that her influence kind of set the trajectory for the rest of my professional work history. When I think about this person, I she was and is truly a fierce woman, and I'm not going to lie. She really intimidated me the first few months of me being there because she has this kind of signature deadpan look that she'll give people while she's thinking. You know, now it's one of my favorite things about her, and she knows that. the The things that I learned from her were. One, the importance of being involved in community, because I never was before, and that's something that she really influenced me to do. Um, two, she taught me that life is much bigger than work. And three, she taught me to simply have fun. And I think that those are all things that I carried with me from one job to the next, Um you know, most importantly, building that confidence in me. I, I didn't believe that I had that. I think it was somewhere, you know, deep inside and she was able to pull that out of me. And the way she was able to pull that out is she, she didn't coddle me. She would, you know, come up with opportunities to put me in social situations, whether it was a ribbon cutting or a meeting with a government official or 
you know, going to meet with a client, you know, she had the confidence in me to put me out there in those situations. And I learned to build that confidence over time. Well, that sounds wonderful. What a great experience, especially your first real professional experience. I'm so thankful for that. Having those mentors. I mean, a lot of times, of course, we learn valuable lessons from negative examples, but oh gosh, it's so wonderful to have those people who will speak into our life and we learn by their example, by, by what they do, not just what they say, what they prioritize. It's one thing to tell people, get involved in the community. It is another thing to have it be modeled and have it in a way be expected. Like that's what we do in this organization. Definitely. And it wasn't just something that she preached. Like you said, it was something that she lived and that she did. And I was able to see her example in the way that she moved through social situations and cared about the community. And I was just really able to learn from that in the most authentic way. Hmm. Wow. That's to have those people who see us. And, you know, a lot of times young people They think, okay, I'm going to college, I'm getting my education, and then I go out in the world and then I do whatever I was trained to do. Right. And then once you're on the world, you realize the real education or the second part of your education, what lasts your entire life, is the people around you and learning about your boss and, and how your boss operates and how to communicate with your boss and your boss's expectations. And hopefully being put in those situations where we have bosses who are interested in us and not simply the work we're producing for them. Yes. Because the more they're interested in us, of course, the better work we produce for them and the organization. Absolutely. So the most incredible thing that ended up happening with that first full-time boss of mine was uh, there was an opportunity that opened up for me to take a new job in the community. And admittedly, I'm not a person who likes change. I'm not a fan of the unknown, but my boss really saw potential for me. And she knew that that was an opportunity that I could grow in. There really wasn't a lot of room for growth where I was. And she knew that. And she actually encouraged me to apply for that job. And she took it a step further and she physically drove me in her car to the office where they were taking applications and waited in the car while I went in there to take my application and resume. And I just think that's incredible. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. That That is a, definitely an example of uh, people first leadership that yeah. what really matters are these relationships and that is good for you. It's good for the other people who are still in the organization to see, to be, to see other people cared for. Yes. Right. As you, as you said, with the volunteering, it's not just what people say, it's what they do. And so it's one thing to say, I care for people here, or we will treat people here, here really well. It's another thing to see people, the people being treated well, even if that means that they leave the organization. Absolutely. I think that's definitely an example of compassionate leadership and being able to view a person uh, not only as a worker, but as a human being who might have a different future ahead of them or more potential somewhere else. And, you know, luckily she just cared about me enough 
to push me out of the nest to go after that next thing. You know, interestingly, also, I was thinking is that we think somebody might say, yeah, but the leader really needs to care about the organization and the health of the organization. But we don't want our leaders to be short-sighted. So when you left this organization, uh, your ability to recruit for that organization, right, that you had this wonderful, positive experience. And if somebody were to say, hey, should what do you think about working here? What -hmm. you're going to be able to report is so glowing and honest because every time we think about going to an organization we go to Glassdoor we go to word of mouth and if somebody says steer clear we're like oh I don't want to go into that dumpster fire right right <laughs> but and if there somebody... are enough dumpster fires out there <laughs> that's right and they're hidden right because everybody <laughs> says they have work-life balance and an excellent work culture and they're like really that place yeah. that's not what I heard can we title this episode secret dumpster fire <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's definitely an example of like that long-term vision and that long-term goal and the things that you can do as a leader to set yourself up for success in your organization, as hard as it is to let good people go sometimes. It's still the right thing to do. And by no means was I saying that your boss had the secret agenda. Well, if Suzanne (laughs) leaves, she's going to say good things and I'll get good people. But that's what happens when we treat people well. It's that karma. When you put good into the world, good comes back. And that's not manufactured. Authenticity, really caring is not something that you can make up. 100%. So conversely, have you had an experience with an individual that you found difficult, a conflict with somebody? And and how did you handle that? Oh, Mary, haven't we all? (laughs) Yes, yes, we have. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'll start out by saying that there's definitely no place that you could possibly work where there's absolutely no conflict because we are human beings. And when we gather in a group, things happen, you know, especially when we're trying to get a task done. But Um, Again, I will speak on a situation that was impactful to me, and it was very early on in my career. You know, I was the youngest person in that organization, and there was a male coworker of mine. He did not work in the same office. He worked in the second office of the company, but our paths would cross at least once or twice a week. And he started making really disparaging comments about me, particularly about my body or my weight, what I was wearing. If he thought something was too tight or he might make a comment like, oh, you don't need to eat that. You know, are you sure you want that donut? Things that he probably thought were funny, but they weren't funny to me. And, you know, eventually I became really uncomfortable around this person. And I had also heard him make really degrading remarks about other coworkers, but it became really apparent in that organization that that behavior from him was kind of accepted just because, uh, and this is my least favorite thing that people say, but that's just how he is or that's just his personality. And it became super frustrating. What happened? Well, eventually I decided that enough was enough. I I can't remember what the particular comment was, but as you can imagine, it was something that set me off to the point where, I don't know, two years in, I decided to do something about it. 
And it took me a lot to get to a point to speak up because I think at the time I struggled with confidence and I didn't know what to do. So I decided to ask if I could file an official complaint about this person to my immediate supervisor. And I listed the specific instances and what was said and, you know, dates that I could remember. And I was, you know, trying to do everything I was supposed to do. The complaint was submitted to the owners and then I never heard anything again. Oh my word. And what's worse about that is a few weeks or months later, I was actually asked to transfer to that office where that individual worked, where I would have to see him every day. And the first thing that I said when I was approached with that was, um, you know, I brought up the complaint that I made and I said, I, I really don't know that I'm comfortable working day to day in an office with somebody who makes comments like that about me. And I'll never forget this. The owner looked me right in the eye and he said, well, are you sure you're not being too sensitive? And immediately, you know, as a young 20 something year old person, I just immediately kind of retreated in myself. I shrank back. I didn't speak up for myself and I ended up transferring to that office and it was uncomfortable, but I kind of felt like I had to go along with it. Wow. Yeah. So two years of putting Mm -hmm. up with it, you make a complaint, nothing happens except for something does happen. You are asked to be with that person and told that you're being too sensitive. So you just have to suck it up. Yes. And that's exactly what I did. And I, if I could go back in my time machine <laughs> <laughs> as the person that I am today mm-hmm. and what I know now, because this was about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I would take myself by the shoulders and I would walk myself out Yeah, because there is no way I would put up with that now. Yeah. No way. And that's, I mean, it's so sad. On many levels, uh, when we don't treat people well, when we don't believe people, when we think, well, this is my level of acceptability and comfortability, you know, what I'm comfortable with. So you should have the same. Right. And disregarding what really ends up being these negative work environments, it a lot of times isn't this big giant blow up that happened that we can see, oh, this person stood up and started yelling at another person. Mm-hmm. It's the drip, drip, drip. It's the pick, pick, pick. And I can feel free to comment on somebody else's body as much as I want because that's, that's just the way my I, personality. That's just my person. I have heard that too. Oh, they're from the north. <laughs> and then, yes. Oh my God. My husband will say that to me. Say, oh, Mary, they're from the north. And that's how they <laughs> act up there. I'm like, a hell to the no. <laughs> you know? I mean, yes, there are regional differences and, and cultural differences and around the world differences. Right. And yet we can have standards about this is a work environment for everyone. Right. And if somebody's actions are making me feel uncomfortable, such that I feel all this anxiety before I go to work because I'm going to have to put up with how this person is objectifying me. Right. Absolutely not. It's 100% unacceptable. Yes. I definitely learned that from that experience. You know, it should have never happened, but what I chose to do was take that and learn and grow from it and know that I would never accept anything like that again. 
Um, I learned that excusing bad behavior because that's just their personality. It's not healthy. It's not acceptable. And, you know, I'm sure that there were several people in the office who also got comments like that from him that were okay with it. Maybe I can't, I mean, I can't assume, but there was no other reaction, but you know, what he didn't know is that at the time I was struggling very much with body image and his comments were causing me a great deal of damage. And even if that wasn't the case, it's still not okay. Right. And, you know, I think that we're slowly evolving into a different generation of workplace acceptance, maybe with the the new generation of the workforce that's rising up. Um, If you think about all of the social movements that we've been through in the last several years, you know, we're, we're starting to get past where, uh, commenting on women's bodies or anybody's bodies is okay. And, and I'm really glad that we're getting there. And, you know, I hope that for anyone who might be listening to this podcast, who's going through a similar situation, I just want your takeaway to be, to know that it is okay. And it is your right to speak up about what is acceptable to you and what is not. And that's not based on what's acceptable to the people around you. You have the right to feel respected and safe and valued in your place of work. And that is my key takeaway. A hundred percent agree. And I really like the point that it doesn't matter if anybody else feels that if anybody else thinks it's appropriate or not, if it's inappropriate, let's say other people don't care him saying, Mm -hmm. don't eat that donut or gosh, that is too tight. Let's suppose some people really don't care. That's fine that they don't care, but that has nothing to do with the fact that it's impacting you negatively and the ability for individuals to speak up and say, this is making a negative impact on my work such that I'm not being able to be productive, as productive, and I don't feel safe in this environment, then we ought to speak up. And yet I also endorse what you did. You made a choice with the information that you had to go ahead and take it. In other Mm -hmm. words, We have to look at the reality of people's circumstances and to say, you're not a good feminist or you're not a good worker because you took it. Right. People are at different places at different times. And there is the reality of paying your mortgage and deciding how we're going to act and what we can take. And sometimes there is a level given who we are in our circumstances of toxicity that we can take until we're able to move forward. And so we are all a work in progress. It does not excuse the bad behavior. Yet I want people to always feel empowered that people's bad behavior doesn't mean I have to leave. There are many different things that you can do because it is your work environment and it's not for someone else to push you out unless you decide that you want to make a change. I 100% agree with that. And I also think there's something to be said in the leadership role, you know, not just the the worker role, but me taking what happened and moving forward as a leader now where I am, knowing how important it is to take complaints like that very seriously, because when you don't, you know, you might be perpetuating a bad situation and you might be showing that employee that you don't value them as much as the other employee that they're complaining about. So definitely a valuable lesson to take forward in all capacities as a worker and a leader. 
Absolutely. Well, I think all complaints are valid. Sometimes a coworker can complain because they don't understand what their role is. Right. And somebody might say, my boss is being unreasonable. She's asking me to answer the phones. I don't answer phones. Well, it could be that the boss is being unreasonable because that isn't their job. It's not what they're supposed to be doing. And they're being asked to do something that they're not supposed to do. Or it could be that is their role and the person doesn't really understand. And so you take the complaint seriously one way or the other. It's to be investigated and to have the other, the person understand what action you took and why you took it. Definitely. Yeah. The information is power. Yes. You have to ask those questions and you can't really judge somebody based off of um, information and tools that they weren't given. So as a leader, you've got to take that first step to realize, am I equipping this person with all the information they need to be successful in their job? Have I explained what their job is fully? Absolutely. I was thinking of a leader who was telling me about a situation where they hired somebody, uh, a full-time non-exempt employee. And so they weren't hourly, but they still worked roughly about 40 hours a week. And there was the struggle because this person was new to the workforce, a new graduate who thought that their work-life balance was being impinged on because they were asking, they were being asked to do things outside of maybe traditional hours. Mm -hmm. And so there was a disconnect of what does it mean to transition from a strict hourly role to this, this role where it's your profession is flexible and the hours, maybe sometimes it's 38 hours, sometimes it's 52 hours, depending on, and that's the role. And so this disconnect, because there's an, a misunderstanding, a misalignment of right. what this role actually entails. Yeah. And the foundation of that is just clear communication, which is so important and so hard on yes. so many levels. <laughs> so how do you see or how do you deal with conflict when it comes to the collaborations that you're involved in. So mm-hmm. your t-shirt business, your mm-hmm. mu- being a musician and collaborating with other musicians, your new role in extra credit, your leadership business. And when you are doing these creative endeavors with others, you're bound to have conflicts in just normal conflicts about direction, what should be done, what should not be done. How do you deal with those inevitable conflicts that come up? Well, I will say in anything in the creative field, it's like a whole new ball game because <laughs> you have creative differences, right? So, you know, you brought up the t-shirt business and I think about, you know, my husband and I who work together on that. And obviously we communicate in a much different way than I would with a coworker because I mean, legally he's bound to me. So <laughs> and I know you understand what that's like. Um, So I'm probably a little more straightforward with him, but in any other capacity, you know, as much as I don't like to rock the boat, I balance that with the other part of me that really is a little bit of a perfectionist. And, you know, I like to see things turn out a certain way, but I want everyone to be equally involved. So again, it's a balancing act that is crazy, but what I think that the most important thing to do is be straightforward in the moments when, you know, when things are happening that you see needs like a course correction, 
take a beat, think through what you're going to say and respectfully just be straightforward and clear about the direction that you think needs to be taken. And I think also keeping it open for the other person to be able to weigh in as well with their ideas and the direction they think we need to take, because, you know, in all of these situations, it's a partnership and you have to allow people their own value and their own opinions equally. Mm. So I think as long as, you know, you kind of detach from it being an emotional thing and just, you know, put your energy into the quality of the work and the success of the team and just being open and honest about it. That's the best way I've been able to approach it. But again, I'm not one that likes to rock the boat. So I'm still working on it. That's such good advice and very difficult. So you're in business with your husband, with your best friend, and then, you know, collaborating when it comes to music and you have this idea of what you want the product to, to turn out to be, or else you wouldn't be doing it, right? You wouldn't be investing in these creative endeavors, but really wanting to collaborate and wanting the product to be the best Mm -hmm. and and also caring about the person and the relationships, right? What what is, what is the most important at the end of the day is the quality of our relationships. Yes. And when we invest in our relationships, especially when they're collaborative in some sort of business sense, then what comes out, what blossoms from that collaboration is also going to be of higher quality than if we were just steamrollers yes. or passive Many people don't want, really don't want us to be passive when it comes to these partnerships at work, uh, these these real collaborations, and certainly in our personal relationships. When you're a passive, that's not being a partner. You are, that's not kindness. You know, it's so funny. No. We have this, this weird perception of kindness is just nodding our head and saying yes, but that's not kind and it's not the good life. The good life is the act actively participating while respecting ourselves and others. Because when you are, you know, putting yourself in that passive position and not making decisions because you don't want to come off as bossy or controlling, and then you just totally take a back seat. The thing that happens is that puts all the decision-making and the pressure on the other person. And like you said, that's not necessarily kind, even though that's our intention as the passive person you're really putting more stress and, um, you know, pressure on the other person to make those choices. So that's always something to keep in mind. And I do want to add that, you know, sometimes just taking a step back and reminding yourself, why am I in this partnership with this person? Well, it's because I trusted them enough to form this partnership in the first place. And nothing's changed about that trust. So I can still trust that they're going to do a good job and that they want the end result to be just as good as what I envision. And that kind of takes a little of the anxiety off of it for me. Hmm. Will you tell us about this new business that you've started with Courtney Eccles called Extra Credit? Absolutely. So Our new business is Extra Credit Team Solutions, and we are a leadership and teamwork consulting company. So what that means is, you know, kind of similar to what you provide, Mary, you know, we can do workshops or lunch and learns or trainings 
Uh, we could even plan a retreat, you know, whether that's for a company or an organization or, you know, just a group of people that want to foster better communication and better teamwork. Our approach is to make it fun and interactive. And I know that you know this through doing many presentations that you can kind of see, you know, at a certain time mark, the life leave people's eyes. Yes. (laughs) The life just goes out of them. You're like, okay, we've got to do something to, to bring them back. So we sprinkle a lot of really interactive activities throughout our presentations just to keep people hands-on and engaged and tie that into the lesson that we're bringing to the table that day and just kind of equip them with the tools that they can take back to their own companies. So it's been a lot of fun. I always joke around and say for somebody who hates public speaking and struggles with confidence, I sure did, you know, decide to do a business that was based on all of it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, as a real world example of learning skills, it doesn't matter what we think that we've been born with, or maybe even sometimes we think our wheelhouses, those are, if you have a goal that's great enough, then we end up stepping up so that we can fulfill fill yeah. that goal, that dream. And it helps that I've got such an amazing business partner, Courtney. She is, she's always in my corner. You know, we're there for each other. She's a great motivator, visionary, you know, when I'm not feeling my best or not feeling confident, she says, girl, you got this. (laughs) And she's just, you know, kind of there to keep us moving and keep us motivated and feeling good. What have you found when it comes to leadership right now that people need or they're looking for? I will say the common theme across the board for everyone is better communication. It seems to be something that everybody either struggles with or that they want to fine tune in their own organizations. You know, maybe it's after coming out of a global pandemic and, you know, feeling siloed off in our own homes and own roles at work that we still kind of feel a little disconnected, even though most of us are back. So it's kind of just mitigating that and getting people on the same page, even if they're working in different departments to have the tools that they need to communicate with each other to achieve the same goal. Communication is definitely a part of what I do as well. What I try to help people not have that communication breakdown um, and have the unmanaged conflict as we've been talking about conflict is good. It's about being engaged and being active. It's when it becomes unmanaged. And so if we don't have those tools, if we don't know how to talk to the person in front of us versus how we want to be talked to or whatever it might be, then there's a good chance that we could have these unnecessary conflicts and dramas and take us off mission so that we're not accomplishing what it is that we want to do. And we don't want to go there. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So Suzanne, as you look into the world of work, what do you think needs to happen so that people can flourish at work? What needs to change? Well, I think, you know, definitely from a leadership standpoint, just like we said, communication is key. So choosing every day to be connected and communicative with the people that we work with, it kind of sounds like a marriage that 
you know, you wake up every day and you choose this, you know, and some days are better than others. And we've got to give those bad days some grace and know that we're not going to fall into the deep, dark hole of conflict. And I hate working here and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Providing feedback is important, both constructive and positive. You know, we can't forget to praise our employees when they do an excellent job because, you know, that that's just what people like. They want to feel appreciated and we need to invite their feedback as well because leaders aren't perfect. We never will be. And they see things from a different perspective in their roles that maybe we're overlooking. So I think leaders should always invite that, that feedback. I'm also a big proponent of placing people in jobs that bring out the best of their skill set and their ability instead of trying to force people into a job uh, where, you know, they might not be comfortable or that's not really their skill set. Put them in a position where they can thrive with the skills that they have. And if they want to grow from there, encourage that. And once you're able to do that and trust that they're in the right position, give them autonomy. Because I think with autonomy, you are giving people a great deal of trust and respect, which is deserved, you know, for everyone everywhere. And when people are given good direction and then the freedom to do their job, you just watch them thrive and it brings out the best in them. Well, gosh, that is excellent advice. And I love that you leaded with choosing connection and communication every day. Our work environments are curated either intentionally and that, and if it's intentional curation, where we decide today, I'm going to do these things and you decide that every day, you're going to have a good outcome. Yes. And if you don't decide those things, why should we be surprised when we end up saying things like, I don't like being here. People don't care about me. This work is whatever. And you get the dumpster fire. Yes. Right? <laughs> secret the dump- dumpster fire. <laughs> the secret dumpster fire is sometimes the not so secret is because that environment was not intentionally curated for optimization of the best. And that is work, but it certainly pays off in the end. Yes, it does. It does. And it takes energy. It does. But gosh, as we know, it takes a lot of energy when we have to just constantly put out those fires. Yes. (laughs) Right. And to constantly rehire and retrain and wring our hands because of this conflict or conflicts or whatever is, is spilling forward. So It's going to be less energy and more payoff if you put it up front, just like with all things, than dealing with the the blowback of not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. This has been so fun. My very first podcast. Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad it was with me. And I am too. Thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. And I also want to congratulate you on your book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work. Plug, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) I have read it. It is amazing. And people can get it on Amazon, right? That's right. Thank thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, take care. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you, Suzanne. I sure appreciate all that you shared with us and your great advice. Goodness gracious. I love that choosing connection and communication every single day. I'm going to have to think a lot about that because you are so right. 
If there's someone you would like to see interviewed on Conflict Managed, please reach out to us. You can find us at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can email us at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com if you have any questions. We hope to see you again next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care. Take care.